Make a big noise playing in the street Gonna be a big man someday You got mud on your face You big disgrace Kicking your can all over the place Singing We will, we will rock you It's up to Austin Nola. Suarez fires. Pop fly. Right field. Segura's out. Castellanos in. And the Philadelphia Phillies are going to the World Series. Well, this most improbable run is still going. This improbable run has just about the most likely hero to it. Bryce Harper with a game-winning home run in the eighth inning. And somehow, some way, the 2022 Philadelphia Phillies are going to play for a World Series. The Astros trying to move on. The one-two pitch and a swing and a ground ball back to the mound. Presley has it. He feeds Gurriel at the bag. And the Houston Astros are heading to the World Series for the fourth time in the last six seasons. The celebration is on on the infield as a dejected Aaron Judge makes his way down the steps into the Yankee dugout. The Astros are celebrating. Is anybody alive out there? Is anybody alive out there? Keep checking. Keep checking. Is anybody alive out there? And how is everyone doing as I welcome you to this October 28th edition of the Sports Buzz as Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu come to the microphones to bring you thought-provoking, hard-hitting sports talk here on the Sports Buzz as we get ready to turn the calendar to the month of November as we have a ton to talk about on this very broadcast this evening and we will begin with the 2022 World Series as the Philadelphia Fighting Phillies have reached the 2022 World Series and they are going up against Dusty Baker and the Houston Astros who are a heavy favorite to win this World Series title. And I want to welcome in a huge Phillies fan, a Phillies fan who in 2008 on FM radio got to enjoy a World Series and a series victory for his Phillies when they defeated the Tampa Bay Rays and Joe Madden and company. And then his team fell short in 2009 to the New York Yankees in another World Series appearance. And Andy can only hope that it's brighter days ahead for the Philadelphia Phillies as he watches this team down 2 nothing early on in game one of this 2022 World Series. Andy, good evening, my friend. Hey, I remember 1980, Harry Callis has called the last out of that playoff series of the Houston Astros. There was a fly ball to Gary Maddox, who was the center fielder. And Maddox catches it, and Harry Callis goes, 
And the Phillies are going to the World Series for the first time in 30 years. At that time, it was the first time since 1950 they had played in the series. Their first World Series victory came after in the franchise's 97th year. And in fact, I remember the last World Series game the Phillies played in 2009. We were over here in Centenary uh, doing the sports buzz. That, that, that series ended on a night that we were on a sports buzz night. Uh, I remember that well. Yes, and 13 years later, we're hosting the Sports Buzz together again, and the Phillies are back in a World Series. And, Andy, you wouldn't want it any other way as that 1980s NLCS that went five games was a classic between the Phillies and Astros. The Phillies ended up winning that game 8-7 to in extra innings, Andy, and ended up going on and sweeping the Royals in a four-game series in the World Series to crown themselves the 1980 World Series champs. Yeah, I remember that all very well. I was 30 years old. Yeah, that, that series they had of the Astros that year, out of the five games, four of them went extra innings. Uh, the first game was a nine-inning game, and then the next four were extra-inning games. Uh, it was just uh, drama piled upon tr- drama in that series. It really was. You know, twice the Phillies are six outs away from elimination. They were trailing in the fourth game, trailing two games to one, and they're, they're six outs away from being eliminated. They came back and won that game. Then the next night with Nolan Ryan on the mound, they were six outs away from elimination, and they came back and won an extra-innings. It was a wild five-game series. And the Astros also had the likes of Art Howe, who we remember as a great manager in the sport of baseball. Joe Morgan, a former ESPN Sunday night announcer and future Hall of Famer. Terry Poole, who threw out the first pitch tonight for the Houston Astros, who was a big catalyst offensively in that series at center field. If the Astros had won that series, Poole would have been MVP. Poole really had the best individual playoff in that series. Really, And then the Phillies back then had the likes of Mike Schmidt and Pete Rose and Larry Boa and Bob Boone and Marty Bystrom. So a lot of key old-time guys that were key yeah, contributors back then. That regular season. Yeah, Bystrom was 5-0 that regular season after they called him up from AAA. He made a big contribution. Of course, they had Carlton, you know, and they had Tug McGraw was just a real workhorse out of the bullpen for the Phillies in both the playoffs and the World Series. You know, Tug in the ninth inning of the World Series, the last inning, he had the bases loaded, and he's trying to protect the three-run lead. (laughs) One of the funniest things Tug McGraw ever said, and he said a lot of funny things. I guess you're too young to remember, but when the uh, Phillies were leading in the bottom of the ninth of the last World Series game there, they had horseback police and police dogs circle the stadium so fans wouldn't come running, tearing up the field the way the Mets did at Shea when the Mets won. And Tug McGraw said later, he said, when I saw those police dogs, I thought to myself, boy, if I blow this, they're going to sick those dogs on me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Andy, that was a classic series, and we can only hope that this series can live up to the expectations of what that 1980 series was for many Philly fans in the city of brotherly love as when you look at this Phillies team, what a remarkable journey they were on. They started off slow. They ended up going, I believe it was 23 and 29. They end up firing Joe Girardi. 
Rob Thompson comes in, gets the interim tag. They play a series against the hapless Angels, and all of a sudden, everything started to gel nicely for this Phillies team, and it took them a lot of work to get where they were, and a sweep against the St. Louis Cardinals in a ninth inning where they rallied to come back and win was really what catapulted them to this magnificent run to get them to a World Series. And the bat of Bryce Harper and the arms of Wheeler and Nola and the good bullpen relief and the leadership that Thompson has brought in in instilling his footprint on this team and the way the players were able to go out there and connect with him has been a magnificent ride for this franchise. And to not only see what Thompson's done, but to see some of these guys that Dombrowski, the general manager, relied on to get them to this point was really amazing because guys like Brandon Marsh and Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber, who's been big with the bat for this team and big-time games this season, they've all stepped up when they've had to, and they've catapulted this team to go on a run here now and try and get a World Series title against an Astros team that hasn't won one since 2017, and they won that in seven games against the Dodgers, and the last two they lost to were NL East foes in 2019 to the Nationals, and last season to the Atlanta Braves. So will they get their revenge on the NL East, who has outdone them and outdueled them in past World Series? Yeah, it is pretty cool that they're facing an NL East team again, and uh, but uh, that Astros team's got a lot of a lot of playoff and big game experience there. But uh, you know, after what the Phillies have been through this year, I don't think anything phases them. Uh, they've been a clutch hitting ball club, all right. They've they put hits together when they needed to, and they've just had that refuse to lose mentality, <laughs> which is probably the best way to sum up what's gotten them here. Plus some very good starting pitching. Uh, not only uh, Nola, but uh, Wheeler. Wheeler's. I remember Mike Schmidt comparing Wheeler to Tom Seaver. Uh, you know, Schmidt batted against Tom Seaver back in the day, and he said that uh, Wheeler had to have learned a lot of stuff about pitching from Seaver because he, he, did, he had, like, the same kind of delivery. His pitches acted the same way. He set up hitters the same way. He said he had to have learned something talking to Tom Seaver at some time or other or just watching Phil the Seaver or whatever. But Schmidt said he was a very similar pitcher to Seaver. Coming from a guy like Schmidt, that is high praise. And what has surprised you most with this team this year, Andy? We know they went through some issues in the beginning, the firing of Girardi, the change at the helm and manager with Thompson stepping up into the role. Because I think if I probably would have asked you back in June or July if you felt they were World Series pedigree, you probably would have told me I was crazy because the Mets owned them, the Braves owned them in the NL East. They really had to fight hard the final month and a half to really try and secure themselves a possible postseason berth. And if it wasn't for that extra wild card team, the Phillies would have never saw October baseball this year. So it's really been just a remarkable ride what they've been able to do. 
Well, those first two months of the season, they had a talent for beating themselves with bad defensive play uh, and blown saves out of the bullpen. And uh, like you've noticed, even now, even, even when they're winning, you know, they, have, they haven't had like that one closer like the Mets had with Edwin Diaz or, for, or like the Yankees had for so many years with Mariano Rivera. Uh, they've kind of done it by committee. And often just Thompson's just gone by how he liked the matchup pitcher against hitter. And they've actually uh, brought a guy out to save the game, and then halfway through the inning he brings in somebody else, you know. Some some prima donna closers would say would pout over being taken out in the ninth inning, but with the Phillies, hey, you got a lefty against lefty, let's do it, you know. Or or sometimes uh, he would use – a guy that like Sir Anthony Dominguez, you know, one night he'll get the save, then the next night he'll come out and get a tough hitter out in the seventh if it was a tough spot and a good hitter. Uh, you know, he's been mixing and matching and doing that bullpen by committee, and he's been making all the right moves. But uh, the main thing that's improved since the Girardi days is the defense. The defense, or the first month of the season, was just awful. And uh, the last couple of months, it's been stellar. I mean, they've had some great catches at times when they really needed them. You know, uh, Castellanos out there in right field, uh, he became a great right fielder. And I don't know if he ever was 1-1 before, but <laughs> but this year, you know, because Harper, because of his injury, could only bat, he couldn't throw. And they needed Castellanos out there. And he came through and did some good glove work out there. You know, it's really been amazing. Yeah, and then you get a pitcher like Ranger Suarez, who's done a great job for this team. He's been fun to yeah, he watch. He got that last out against San Diego, and he's been a starter all year. <laughs> yeah, sometimes these managers got to go to the bullpen and use some of their best guys, whether they're a starter or not, in a big postseason game. And you know what? Sometimes it works, and it worked in that game five against the Padres in what was just a fitting game and an all-around fantastic baseball game. And not only was it a fantastic game with the play on the field, but it was an old-school type of game with the misty rain and the wind and the chill in the air and the electric atmosphere. It was just like 2008 when they won those last games against Tampa and Philly. The weather was really, it wasn't good baseball weather. It was rainy. In fact, they postponed the last game twice before they finally got it played. And, uh, yeah, they're playing on wet fields through all kinds of rainy conditions. When you look at the Astros, Andy, you look at a guy like Dusty Baker, who's been yearning for a title for an extremely long time and has fell short of getting that World Series trophy. And this may very well be the year that he can finally capitalize on that and get a championship for the city of Houston, the second since 2017. And listen, this Astros team, they're fun to watch. They're an all-around great fundamentally sound baseball team they were 7-0 and entering this series they beat the Mariners in what I thought was a more compelling series than the series they played against the Yankees that 18 inning game was crazy it was and then they go and they torch the Yankees in four consecutive games and that doesn't even end up being a series and that was more about the Yankees offensive inability to score runs against good pitching than it was about anything else. His inability to put the bat on the ball. I mean, they were striking out all all night long. I mean, it was embarrassing. 
the Yankees, I think they set all kinds of uh, postseason records for striking out. And it just goes to show you, Andy, when you have a big guy like Aaron Judge who catapults your team with 62 homers throughout a regular 162-game season, sometimes the pressure's on in the postseason, and Judge just couldn't answer the call when the Yankees needed him to with the bat, and that was a Big, big disappointment for a Yankees team that had a lot of great expectations getting into this 2022 postseason. And the idea now in the New York metro area with all of the murmurs we've heard all week, the idea that the Yankees want to continue down the road of Brian Cashman being general manager and continue down the road of Aaron Boone leading this team in the dugout is a little hard to digest for a New York sports fan because we've seen that it hasn't worked. And sometimes when you make a change the way the Phillies did with manager, you know what? Sometimes the changes are what you need to get your team on a winning streak. And the Yankees may want to think twice about keeping this regime that they currently have in place because they haven't won a World Series since 2009, and you know as well as I do, especially from being back on the air back in the day on FM radio, that we had a lot of conversations about the Steinbrenner family. If George Steinbrenner was alive, Brian Cashman wouldn't be GM, and Aaron Boone wouldn't be manager in the dugout. Well, you know, also the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, who I've covered for several years for the Express Times, uh, they played a role in the Phillies' uh, success this year, too, the they made uh, late-season call-ups of Matt Veerling, who uh, gave them some uh, good outfield defense. They also, in that deal, when they got Cindergard from the Angels, they also got Marsh in center field. You know, he's the guy with the big beard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, infielder Bryson Stott uh, solidified their infield defense. They did some call-ups from the Iron Pigs. Another story was Alvarado, who's been one of their good relievers the last month. He was terrible when the season started, and they sent him down to Lehigh Valley. And when he came back from Lehigh Valley, he was an elite relief pitcher. They did something to straighten him out down there at Lehigh Valley, and uh, it's a good thing they did because he's been one of the guys they've depended out of the bullpen in those high-leverage uh, situations that you get late in ball games when you're trying to win a championship. So uh, Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs had a role in this too. <laughs> And listen, the San Diego Padres were a fun story out of the NL West to go in and beat the Mets the way they did and then to beat the Dodgers the way they did to get themselves to an NLCS was really a great storyline for Bob Melvin and company. And you saw the contributions from Juan Soto. You saw what Manny Machado brought to the table. You saw Josh Bell add his offensive agility with the bat in this postseason you yeah, had they some wouldn't have been there without Machado no I mean Machado really was the glue of that team and if he gets MVP he would be deserving even though maybe there's some guys who hit more home runs and drove in more runs but without Machado you know they say it's the most viable player uh which kind of leaves it wide open to uh discussion and opinion but you know it's basically the guy that a team that won could not have won without and I think uh, if you go by that definition of valuable, uh, it was Machado. Uh, they lost to Tees uh, to his uh, stupidity, and uh, and uh, somebody had to step up because, uh, uh, you know, uh, Soto and Bell, uh, 
were not, you know, they, they had an adjustment period there. They, they, they weren't always answering the bell, pardon the pun. No, and, but, and uh, they also and got some. kept carrying up through those lean times, yeah. No, and they also got some good pitching out of Darvish and Musgrove and Snell, who were key contributors on the mound for this team to get them on this deep postseason run. And listen, they fell short, but they have nothing to be mad about. They played a great postseason. They were fun to watch. A lot of people were rooting for them. A lot of people wanted to see them get over that hump and play the Houston Astros in a World Series. They would have been a great storyline coming out of the National League, and they fell short from doing that, but they should be very proud of what they did. And for Bob Melvin to do what he did in one year with this team at the helm as manager was really remarkable for the San Diego Padres and they have a bright future ahead of them and I think we'll be talking about the Padres for a long time as postseason contenders Andy. Sure they'll be up there yeah Melvin's a good manager they've got a good organization there and they will be a factor to be dealt with in coming National League seasons for sure yeah. And the Astros brought the bats to the ballpark in Houston. Game number one, top of the fourth. They lead the Phillies. I'm sad to say this, Andy. 5 nothing. as Kyle Tucker got the scoring started with a solo home run to right. And then Maldonado brought in another run to go up 2 nothing. And the Astros added three more runs in the bottom of the third inning and they lead it five nothing in the top of the fourth as the Phillies have runners on the corners and two outs and we will keep you updated on this game and we will discuss a lot more about what's happening in the world of sports as we have a lot going on as the college football season enters into its final stretch of games. The NBA season has just begun. Will the Knicks be better than what we've seen in years past? Will the Brooklyn Nets find a way to bounce back and be a force in the Eastern Conference? And you also have some hockey with the Rangers, the Islanders, the Flyers, and the Devils. And we have a ton more to talk about, including the NFL. We're your daily home for passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan as we live stream this broadcast on Clubhouse and we make it available for podcast playback through Apple, Spotify, and Google. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will banter more about what's happening in the world of sports. Back after this. Hi, I'm Fouad Reves. I'm a home builder. And I have a question for all of you out there who are building your dream home. Are you making plans so your home will have healthier indoor air? It's an important question because there's a deadly invisible radioactive gas that can seep into homes from underground. It's radon gas, and when you breathe it in, it can cause lung cancer. Among non-smokers, radon is the number one cause of lung cancer. The good news is that it's simple to build a home, so radon is not a problem. Building your home radon resistant is a good, inexpensive way to stop radon from entering your home. Any builder can do it. So protect your family, talk to your builder, tell them you want a healthier, safer dream house. You'll have better dreams. Learn more. Visit the EPA at epa.gov radon. That's epa.gov radon. 
This public service announcement is brought to you by the EPA, who does not endorse this particular builder or any other commercial enterprise. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz. Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu coming to you live from the great state of New Jersey as we chat to you about what's happening in the world of sports. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto. And before we took our first break, we were talking about the Astros who were leading the Phillies at the time 5 nothing. while Andy, the Phillies, put up a three spot off of Justin Verlander in the top of the fourth as Hoskins singled, Harper singled, Castellano singled, Bone doubled, and the barrage of runs started to come in for the Phillies as they trail now 5-3 to three in the fourth in Houston. Well, the Phillies have that refuse-to-lose attitude, and uh, they've got some bats. Yeah, it's, it's not over till it's over. <laughs> Verlander's up to 57 pitches already through the bottom of the fourth, one on at second, two men down, 5-3 Astros. So we are in for some compelling moments here in this game as it's going to be back and forth through the duration, I have a feeling. Well, you know, Verlander is a future Hall of Famer without a doubt, but he has not done particularly well in the World Series. He has not gotten it done in World Series games, and he's had enough of them. There's a sample size there, which is odd, you know, because, again, the Astros wouldn't be where they are without him and uh, other teams. And, you know, Detroit Tigers, he pitched into the World Series. and But in the World Series, I don't think he has a World Series win. No. Uh, he's, yeah, so, uh, there, well, there you go. <laughs> and it's just amazing, Andy, to see what these NL East teams have done in the World Series. We saw the Nationals beat them in 2019, and then the Braves last year go out there on this improbable run in the second half of the year and end up playing the Astros in six games and beating them, and both teams won the series in Houston and celebrated on Houston's diamond. That Nationals team was a wild card, and yeah, you know, it's a, another team in the National League East that has had World Series success as a wild card was the Marlins. They're the only team that's, uh, in fact, they were the first wild card to ever win the World Series back in 97. And they're the only team that's uh, won more than one World Series without winning a division title. You know, both times they won the World Series, they were a wild card. So, yeah, got to watch out for those National League East teams there. I'll tell you, Verlander's getting very frustrated. He looks a little 
agitated on the mound right now as Bryson Stott is up, the number seven hitter. And did he just hit Stott? Did he hit him in the knee? Let's see. Ooh, Stott's limping. Well, we'll keep his defense. Yeah. Yeah, they need Stott's defense. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope he's not hurt. That ball hit him on the shin of the knee really, really hard. Really hard. He closed his eyes. He was in so much pain. Now they're going to show you the replay. And I think, yep, he's going to be okay. So we will keep you updated on that game throughout. And Andy, why don't we switch gears to the National Football League as it has been magical for not only the New York football giants and Daniel Jones we trust, but it's been amazing to see what these two New York football teams have done thus far as we enter week eight of this competitive NFL season as the New York Giants went out there and played a tough-fought game against the Jaguars team and pretty much did what they had to do and won the game in the fourth quarter by staving off a rally from the Jags with a few seconds to go when a defender got the receiver tackled about a half inch from the goal line to save the Jaguars from winning the game and the Giants end up prevailing with a 23-17 win in Jacksonville and move to 6-1 and and the Jets have been fun to watch as it's been about the offense and the ground game with this Jet team as they've gone out there and they have also found ways to win games and they are 5-2. and we had ourselves a well-informed guest uh, who told us that the Giants were being underestimated, and he was right. And it wasn't just hopeful fan stuff out of him, but, you know, he was there watching the practices and knew what they were doing to prepare for the season. And, and he let us know, you know, don't sell these Giants short. And, uh, you know, Wink Martindale coming there to run the defense has made a big difference with the Giants. And they've had a healthy Saquon Barkley, which – has opened up a lot of options for their offense. I mean, their offense has run through Barkley. And football is such a game of your manpower. You know, uh, a lot of it is just mathematics. Uh, you know, if you have more manpower to stop the run, that's going to open up the pass and vice versa. And the Giants have played that game masterfully. Absolutely, Andy. And with the Giants, it's been about the ground and pound ground game between Barkley and Jones with their legs and it's been about their defense what their defense has done through the first seven weeks of this season has been incredible because they're pressuring the quarterback they're blitzing they're using a lot of what Wink Martindale was able to instill with the Ravens in Baltimore with all them years of that successful defensive culture he instilled in that team when he was with the Ravens and he brought that into the Giants and they have acted on his defensive culture quickly as they have had a great defensive game plan week in and week out which has helped them in a lot of these key games well as Reggie White used to say they're bringing it <laughs> uh, that, that, that sums it up sums it up right there bringing the heat and uh, that's a good defense. It's an attacking defense that actually makes the offense uh, jittery and has to think on the fly, and uh, they don't know what they're going to do next. You know, there's there's not, no pretty predictability in that defense, and that's 
that's what they wanted to accomplish when they started putting that into place. Yeah, kudos to the Giants for uh, for once again this uh, NFC East. There's also um, one heck of a division here with the Eagles and Dallas, and now the Giants uh, got ourselves a pretty competitive division here. Yes, we do. And with the Jets, it's been about Bryce Hall and what he's instilled offensively as he had a big 62-yard touchdown in the 16-9 win over the Broncos in the Mile High City last Sunday. And the Jets have been fun to watch. And now they take on a team that was embarrassed on Monday Night Football on ESPN by the Chicago Bears as Bill Belichick left that game scratching his head. And if you don't think he wants to deal with the press after a football game, whether he wins or loses, he definitely didn't want to take to the podium after his team got demolished by the Bears 33-14 to in where the quarterback controversy continues to weigh heavy on a lot of the Patriots fans' minds as you don't seem to know week in and week out if Jones or Zappi is going to be the starter. And we've seen more out of Bailey Zappi leading the New England Patriots at quarterback than we have out of Mac Jones. And I think we learned a big lesson in this game this past Monday night that you cannot go in with not knowing who your starter is going to be and think that you're going to prevail and win. Belichick couldn't get to Zappi fast enough in this game against the Bears as the Bears went out there and didn't only play well defensively. Josh Fields may have had one of the best performances of his career in a Bears uniform. One ability the Patriots do have, though, is uh, uh, if anybody can bounce back from a loss, they can. Uh, That's one of the things that's made Belichick such a good coach over the years. I mean, if there's a problem, he'll fix it. He he is a, a master of, uh, of of not letting his team slump or have a season get away from them, and uh, you know still wouldn't count that team out. No, and that's why when you look at this game against the Jets, arch rivals, the Patriots have had a lot of success against the Jets in recent years and in years past, and. Every time you look at this matchup, it's been more about the Patriots finding ways to win games against the Jets than it has been about the Jets' success against New England. And I think when you look at this matchup this weekend, Andy, Belichick is going to be out for revenge. He is not going to get obliterated in back-to-back weeks. He's a little frustrated right now with his Patriots being 3-4, and and he is going to do everything in his power to get this team readily prepared to go out there and beat the Jets and do it on the road at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. And by the way, if Bill Belichick gets a win, he will pass Hallis for 325 total wins to make him second among any head coach to do that with victories behind, in NFL history. Shula. Yes, behind yeah, Shula. is at the top of the heap there. But, uh, you know, with Belichick there, even before Brady and after Brady, they've been tough on the Jets. And even some Jets teams that were good and made the playoffs and won playoff games, they've always been tougher to Jets, whether the Jets have been strong in a particular year or not. I mean, I mean, I remember there was a lot of excitement about the Jets when they had Daryl Revis and all the, that group. 
uh, but the Patriots uh, still always are tough on them. Yes, they are, and I think we are in for a good game, and I think a Patriot win on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. And then the New York Giants will travel to Seattle, Andy, to take on a Seahawks team that has been a compelling team out of the NFC West this season. A lot of people didn't think the Seahawks were going to be more than a five-win team with Geno Smith at quarterback after they lost Russell Wilson in the offseason to Denver. And what does Pete Carroll do? He motivates this team week after week. And he has the potential to become coach of the year and lead this Seattle Seahawks team behind the arm of Geno Smith into possible postseason contention as the Seahawks have played some gritty football of late and they will be tough to solve for the New York Giants and I get everything has gone the Giants way with the defense and the great ground game and all of that but playing in Seattle is a different animal for a visiting team in that building and I think it is going to be a tough task for them on Sunday afternoon against Geno Smith and the Seahawks. Well, you know, the Seattle Seahawks are the only team that won the only Super Bowl I've had the opportunity to go and see in person, and that was when they played right here in New Jersey. And uh, I was on the Super Bowl host committee for that one. That's kind of like one of the highlights of my professional career, uh, getting on that Super Bowl host committee. Boy, were the Seahawks were impressive in that Super Bowl game, and uh, they've still got a lot of that it factor still going for them, especially when they play at home in Seattle. I heard people, uh, I talked to people who uh, followed the Seahawks and, uh, you know, were at their games in Seattle, and they said at home, that team just picks it up a notch, and uh, they're just that much tougher at home that they have an intense home crowd that just lifts their level of play. And uh, they said it's uh, the synergy there between the fans and the team in that town is something really special. The 12th man. uh, Yeah, 12th man, yeah. So being part of the Super Bowl host committee, what was that like and what were your responsibilities, Andy? I was the trivia guy. People would get together for trivia, and I would ask trivia questions and give prizes to the winners and, you know, the the NFL has uh, they have a talent for having a lot of good things for people to take home from the games. You know, we're just giving them free merchandise, you know, autographed jerseys and uh, footballs and all that kind of stuff. And I was the guy there with the trivia questions <laughs> for their uh, Super Bowl party, and uh, that, that was fun. It was just a matter of I knew the right people, and uh, just uh, at that time and place in New Jersey, I got on the committee for that year, you know. It's too bad they don't have me on the committee when they play in places like Southern California or New Orleans. <laughs> but here in New Jersey in the middle of the winter, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you quickly, going back to that Super Bowl in New Jersey, you know, the hype and everything was just remarkable. And to go to Radio Row that week and see a lot of the different outlets that cover the games daily on Radio Row across the country and having the opportunity to meet guys like Steve Mariucci and Michael Irvin and people you watch on the NFL Network on a daily basis. I remember that whole week that as exciting as it was for the Super Bowl to be in New York, there wasn't a lot of juice behind the Broncos or Seahawks 
playing in that game. And I don't know why the juice factor wasn't there. And I think because New York is such a big city and we zone in on all of our local teams so much on a daily basis that to deviate from that and focus on a Super Bowl was a little hard for the local fan. And then I remember the day after we had about 10 inches of snow and you wouldn't have believed that there was a Super Bowl the night before. It was just they a crazy out, atmosphere. Yeah, it was in the 40s for that Super Bowl game, and that was a terrible winter. And they lucked out that on Super Bowl Sunday they got a, a playable field in the moderate temperatures at least. I mean, 40s in February, you take that anytime. Yeah, and then the very next day winter reared its ugly head again. So somebody at the NFL uh, arranged for a good day. <laughs> you know, one thing I was impressed with was how I – you know, how the NFL handled the media and media day and all that stuff. Uh, the NFL doesn't leave anything to chance. Uh, they have a plan for everything on and off the field. I mean, they, uh, they're they just meticulous about the way they uh, make sure everything goes right for the Super Bowl, you know. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was something to watch. And I know that there was some yeah. trying times back then, too, because a lot of the players and coaches – were annoyed at the fact that all of the media stuff was taking place in Manhattan in New York City, but some of the games and festivities were also taking place in New Jersey, and they were very upset at the fact that they had to go to the city for some stuff and then come to New Jersey for the game. So there was a lot of bickering back and forth regarding that that week, and I believe the Seahawks were staying in Jersey City and the Broncos were staying somewhere else, and I just remember the coverage that week just being crazy because some of the players were griping at the fact that they were playing in New Jersey but had to go to New York. And the way the NFL handled it was great, and they handled it the way they handle everything else with great leadership. But it was a little crazy that you had all these different venues that you had to worry about in a tri-state area spectacle rather than when you go to another city it's all in close quarters the nfl's got a situation there where uh, you know they're called the new york giants and the new york jets but yet they're playing in new jersey and uh, for the likes of me I, I never could figure out why the jets uh wouldn't stay in that queens area you know because that was their identity they became a football powerhouse uh, playing in queens in shea stadium and I can get it, you want your own stadium. But I always thought the Jets would build their own stadium out there in Long Island, Queens, that area. That's their real fan base. And I remember but, when uh, they tried to go after the Javits Center to get yeah. some venue over there to build a new stadium, and the city turned it down. But listen, they've shared a stadium for so long now, Andy, that they built MetLife Stadium to be a dual stadium. I don't think the Jets will ever leave that venue now, but it is tough because back when it was Giant Stadium, there was a lot of animosity between the two franchises because the Giants had the name on the stadium, but yet the Jets were playing there. The Jets felt like they were renting the facility, weren't part owners of the facility. And I remember, uh, if you remember the Phil Simms uh, Giants teams uh, that were in the Super Bowl, on the helmet, they used to wear Giants, and they, they wanted to, like, uh, they didn't want to offend New Jersey fans by having them the New York Giants fans. But then they went back to the NY, which was the traditional old uh, 
helmet that went back to the days of Y.A. Tittle, who I actually remember watching Y.A. Tittle play, which tells you how old I am. <laughs> but but um, that whole New Jersey, New York thing has been a, a touchy thing that I think they've handled well, uh, you know, because, you know, New Jersey is like, well, they play in Jersey. They should be the Jersey Giants. You always hear the Jersey politicians saying that, but they're still the New York Giants. Their history is New York Giants, you know. <laughs> The NFL may handle things well, but the Jets and Giants didn't handle that new stadium venue well. It's not a nice stadium. It's not a fun place to go to. And the fact that you don't have a retractable roof on that stadium to this day is head-scratching and mind-boggling to me. And and if the Giants and Jets would have done a little bit better with the way that stadium was built, I think it'd become more of a love affair with the fans here in the New York metro area. But there's more negatives about it than positives year in and year out. I like the Giant Stadium, and, and I do miss it. You know, I've been in the press, press box and uh, the facilities over there. I've been to some college games at Giant Stadium uh, a few times on Penn State and Rutgers and uh, some of these teams that play college games there. Syracuse played quite a few uh, college games at, at Giant Stadium. And it was a great place. Uh, I love the place. I never could understand why they'd want to replace it. Yeah, and they did with MetLife Stadium, and look what happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a fabricated, artificial. There's uh, no, there's you know, no. It doesn't have the same charm that Giant Stadium had. Absolutely, it doesn't have that charm. The Dallas Cowboys' new stadium has charm because Jerry Jones wanted to make it a fan-friendly stadium. A lot of these new stadiums that are being built in the world of sports, whether it's baseball, whether it's arenas and basketball, whether it's football stadiums, they're built because the owners want them to have some type of appealing aspect to it for the fans. MetLife Stadium doesn't have that appealing comfort for the fans that visit there regularly that want to go and support their teams. And that has been something that I have always been annoyed about when it comes to MetLife Stadium because there's just not a nice appeal to the venue. It doesn't draw you in. It doesn't make you want to go back week after week to watch your team. It's a very hard stadium to navigate. There's tunnels and different aisles, and it's just a hard stadium to get around. It really is. True, true. And Dak Prescott, Andy, returned to the Dallas Cowboys last week as the Dallas Cowboys and their defense held tough as they defeated the Detroit Lions 24-6 as Dak Prescott had 207 yards in the air and a touchdown, and the Cowboys are also fighting tough. I do understand they don't have Ezekiel Elliott now, right? No, he won't be playing this week. Yeah, so I'll have to find a way to win without him. Well, <laughs> well you, got, you gain in one area, you yeah, lose but in another. Yeah, you got Tony Pollard, who's really good. Pollard had 83 yards last week, 12 carries. So Pollard's definitely a workhorse for the Dallas Cowboys. So even though Zeke is out. Line who block, they have a good line who run blocks well, too. So uh, so you and me might even be a good backfield on that <laughs> <team>. <laughs> And... The defense has gotten the job done, and we were into the Dan Campbell and Hard Knocks scene with this Detroit Lions team prior to the season starting, and unfortunately it's been 
dismal at best as they are 1-5 to start off the 2022 campaign in the NFL season, Andy. Well, you know, it's funny. They seem like a better team than that. They may bounce back and win a few. (laughs) One other game that we will hone in on here is the Baltimore Ravens took to Amazon Prime to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and boy, have times fallen for Brady and the Buccaneers, Andy, as they are 3-5, and and they lost to the Ravens last night. 27 to 22 and maybe just maybe Tom Brady may be second guessing coming out of retirement to join forces with the Buccaneers to try and win another Super Bowl as it has not been pretty for this team thus far and it looks like the leadership of Todd Bowles may have not been what the doctor ordered in Tampa Bay with Brady at quarterback and Bruce Arian stepping aside and letting Bowles take over the helm as head coach. Well, Tom and Giselle aren't together anymore. Uh, uh, Tom may have some non-football issues weighing on his mind these days. (laughs) Which makes you wonder. (laughs) Well, listen, we knew that there was friction there because Giselle wanted Brady to retire. Brady probably felt that he had some unfinished business and he's greedy and he wants to come back for more. He loves to play. He's not ready to hang it up. And that probably caused some animosity within the immediate family there. And Giselle was probably fed up and probably said after 13 years, I think they were together, probably said, I've had enough and wanted to move on. But you would have to think how much of an impact that has had on the psyche of Tom Brady as ultimately, Andy, the Buccaneers right now are three and five and are not worthy of playoff conversation. Yeah, meanwhile, those Ravens, now they're back in first place in the uh, AFC North. And, and uh, you know, the Ravens, the games that they did lose this year, they did some dumb things and they had some bad breaks. Uh, I mean, th- that team could be uh, 8-0 and right now. Uh, if they, uh, you know, fix uh, some of the things that they've, beating themselves with this year. They could be a very dangerous, good team coming down the stretch. You know, they get their problems worked out and uh, and play smart football the rest of the way. They, they could be hard to handle. And the Phillies are teeing off on Justin Verlander, top of the fifth, one out. They've tied the game, Andy, All at right. five apiece as Harper's at the plate. Verlander, 83 pitches in. Dusty Baker has the bullpen warming for the Houston Astros as signs of doom and gloom in game one against an NL East foe start to look a little bit more troublesome for the Houston Astros as the Phillies are battling back and this game here in my opinion Andy is a must get for the Phillies if they can take game one then I think they will definitely be able to play spoiler and have a shot in this series if they don't win this game it's going to be tougher but getting game one is all you need to do to garner the momentum needed to capture a title and if the Phillies can do that then I think they will be a little bit more comfortable going into game two tomorrow night yeah they need to split in Houston if they're going to have any chance to win this series 
They'll definitely need Wheeler to win two games. They need Nola to win game five and Wheeler to win game six. They can't win the World Series without doing that. Uh, you know, Ranger Suarez is a nice pitcher too, but uh, he's not at the level of Nola and Wheeler. They need those two guys to win their starts. And at least uh, Nola doesn't, he won't get the win in this game, but at least if they don't lose it, uh, they still have, you know, Nola can go out there some nights and just be lights out the best pitcher you've ever seen. He's had games where he's just been absolutely amazing. Uh, they're going to need two wins out of Wheeler too and figure out to win a game. Um, Maybe uh, Noah Syndergaard may start game four, and he may recapture some of his Mets magic. Uh, I don't know. But it is funny how the Phillies have a, a New York Met central to their uh, chances of winning in Zach Wheeler there, and uh, and they picked up Syndergaard, too, and he's had some nice outings for them. He's contributed. Who would have thunk it that the Mets go out there and get rid of Wheeler, they get rid of Syndergaard, and these two guys are on the same team now vying for a World Series trophy? It just eats the Met fan up when you think about that scenario. Listen, I'm a diehard Met fan, and what the Phillies have done has been amazing, but it's bothered me that they've gotten to a World Series knowing that they've been such a competitive NL East foe of ours for an extremely long time. But I'm giving them their due, Andy, because for your sake, I'd like to see the Phillies win it for you. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, Wheeler was just what that team needed because, uh, you know, they, they were coming up short on the pitching end. Uh, you know, they've had a pretty good offensive team for the last few years, uh, you know, going back to uh, you know, the days when Kapler was managing them, and uh, they were staying close, and they were a tough team, but they just didn't have enough pitching. And uh, Wheeler was a key ingredient for them, plus uh, improvement of some of the guys in the bullpen who, uh, you know, did do their duty in the minor leagues and uh, made themselves better, smarter pitchers. And uh, they recently picked up uh, Robertson, too, who has uh, helped solidify the bullpen. Uh, that, that was another astute Former Yankee. Move getting him here, yeah. Meanwhile, with the Astros, uh, the Astros do win. Two guys I would be very happy for would be Dusty Baker. And also, um, they have the, the Mancini, uh, who a couple of years ago uh, had stage three colon cancer and uh, was afraid he wouldn't even live to see another World Series, much less play in one. And, uh, you know, he's DH over there in Houston now, and you could feel happy for a guy like that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I mean it, it, an incredible recovery that he made, and, uh, you know, he, he would be celebrating with the Astros should they win. You know, Dusty Baker, when I was uh, 18 years old, I remember watching an Atlantic Braves game uh, where, Dusty Baker was 19 years old, and he was batting fourth behind Hank Aaron in the lineup. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Baker Baker goes back a long way. He's, uh, he's about a year older than I am. They're going to the bottom of the fifth, all squared at five apiece between the Phillies and the Astros in game one of the 2022 World Series at Minute Maid Park. And speaking of another Philadelphia team, Andy, the undefeated and only undefeated team in the NFL, the 6-0 Philadelphia Eagles, coming off of a bye week, will take on another Pennsylvania rival in the Pittsburgh Steelers at Lincoln Financial Field in 
Philadelphia on Sunday as the Eagles and Steelers will battle it out as the Eagles look to go to 7-0 under the great arm of Jalen Hurts, the great running game of Miles Sanders, and a key receiver in A.J. Brown, who've all been big-time catalysts for this team's success through the first seven weeks of this 2022 season. And the Eagles, Andy, they look like a dominant team that can march themselves right into serious Super Bowl consideration. Well, getting Brown in the draft was uh, really a great move because they they didn't have a number one pick. I mean, they were a little further down in the draft, and uh, they drafted real well the last couple of years. And that defense, uh, you know, it's all working together, and they still got some veteran leadership on that defense. And, boy, they've come up with the interceptions whenever they've needed them, and uh, they've just been doing everything right so far. And, you know, historically, the years the Eagles have gone to the Super Bowl have been years in which they played home playoff games. Now, I know they've won some playoff games on the road, but I think it takes a lot out of you to have to win a playoff game on the road uh, to do it a few weeks in a row. Well, I know the Giants have done it. A few teams have been able to do that. Uh, you remember when the Giants are 7-7 seven and seven at one point and ended up winning the Super Bowl. But yes, the I Eagles, do. The Eagles' really good, successful years uh, have been where they've had that great record, had the home field in the playoffs, and then they went to the Super Bowl on that. And it could be one of those kinds of seasons for them. They just have everything working. Their offense is working. Their defense is working. They have a great, solid game plan week in and week out. And that Nick Sirianni seems to be the right guy to lead this team to winning success with the Bose headset on on the sideline. Who would have ever expected that a guy like him would lead the Eagles to big things and that a guy, that guy Thompson is helping the Phillies for you know, these are not big names in the sporting world, but they're certainly doing a great job with these Philadelphia teams these days. And he seems to have a good rapport with Jalen Hurts, and they seem to be able to yeah. communicate with one another and bounce ideas off of one another. And when you have a coach-quarterback tandem that can connect like that, you're going to have success week in and week out because everybody's on the same page then. And that's what you need to win in this league. You need to be readily prepared, ready to go week in and week out, fundamentally sound, but you also all need to be on the same page and communicate as one. And the one thing you could say with this Eagles team is you see the communication there with Sirianni, the head coach, and Hurts running the offense as quarterback. Amen to that. And I remember a year ago at this time, the Eagles are 2-5, and five and everybody, the fans, uh, wanted to run Hurts out of town, but uh, they didn't give up on him. And I think... Uh, you know, sometimes uh, you may have a tendency to give up on a guy too soon and then learn that, hey, you know, this guy wasn't so bad when he's on another team. Uh, I think the Eagles are glad that or they probably had faith in him all along, just like the Giants with Jones. Uh, you know, fans are always the toughest critics of a team. But sometimes uh, the management coaches say, yeah, let's give this guy a few more chances here. He yeah. Can, 
get it all together and start winning for us. I mean, the Eagles Eagles weren't fantastic last year, but they did get to a postseason. They went up against the buzzsaw with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first round against Tom Brady and company, and they got obliterated in that game. The Eagles beat the mediocre and bad teams to get to the playoffs. But the thing is, they learned from that, Andy, and they took what they did wrong, and they capitalized on that by doing it right and fixing the problems that were the issue from them winning last year. And by doing that in the offseason and fixing this team up, they've positioned themselves now to be a legit Super Bowl contender in the NFL because they just look primed each week. And I don't think there's going to be too many teams that can give them trouble. You just got to keep working at it until you get it right. <laughs> and then they're taking on a Steelers team where Ben Roethlisberger retired in the offseason. They told the fan base that Trubisky was going to be the next best thing since Roethlisberger. They go out there and they get Kenny Pickett. They allow Trubisky to start the season. He doesn't get the job done. Then they bring Kenny Pickett in, and the offense just week in and week out has been a nap and they're 2-5, and and you'd have to wonder how much more longevity does Mike Tomlin have with this team because the Steelers have not been in contention for a long time. Do they get to the playoffs year in and year out? Yes. Are they mentally tough? Yes. Has Mike Tomlin put his imprint on this team? Yes, but like we've said with the Yankees, with the Boone situation, sometimes you need to make a change, and sometimes when you make that change, your team goes in a different direction and gets back to winning success, and maybe it's that time in Pittsburgh now where Tomlin hands the baton off to somebody who can work with Trubisky or Kenny Pickett and instill an offense that's going to work well for this team and get them back to some winning success. Well, I like Kenny Pickett for the same reason I've always liked Joe Flacco. He's from South Jersey. And, uh, you know, I got a feeling Pickett one of these days when he's in the right circumstances, he could win a Super Bowl, too. And uh, Joe Tadsman is from Central Jersey, but he's another Jersey guy who uh, won a Super Bowl as a quarterback. So watch out for those Jersey quarterbacks. (laughs) But right now the Steelers have some work to do. And through the years, the Eagles have been a real thorn in the side of the Steelers. It's been a good thing for the Steelers. They only play them every few years being, you know, in the other conference. But... The Eagles have beaten some of those uh, really super uh, Steelers teams that won the Super Bowl. Now, I remember it used to frustrate me so many times. The Eagles, not just with the Steelers, but with the Redskins, Giants, and 49ers, and teams that have won Super Bowls. The Eagles beat them during the regular season, but then the Eagles weren't there, uh, you know, playoff-wise uh, in the big games. But the Eagles have won so many regular season games over a team that ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. And they've done it to Pittsburgh a few times. Uh, you know, it, it, I guess it takes an Eagles fan to remember that, but there have been so many seasons where a team would be celebrating and winning the Super Bowl and be sitting there thinking, damn, the Eagles beat them. <laughs> <laughs> it's when you win them, you know. It's, it's when you do it, right? Another game we look at is the National Sunday Night Game of the Week on NBC, Andy, as the great Buffalo Bills team 
will play in Orchard Park, and they will take on a Packers team that has a lot of question marks as Aaron Rodgers isn't getting the job done thus far in Green Bay as the Packers are 3-4, and and there seems to be some miscommunication there as the offense just seems to be off kilter. LaFleur hasn't done a great job with the play calling. Rodgers seems to be lacking in certain areas this year. He might be regretting uh, not staying retired. <laughs> You're supposed to be retiring, right? And he had some issues with Green Bay where he, like, refused to play for them. I think he was trying to negotiate a few things. There. Well, I know he uh, waited, too, in the off season for weeks and weeks and weeks to give the Packers a final answer. And then... You know, he finally came out and said he wanted to come back for another season, but he upset a lot of people internally in the higher office for the Green Bay Packers because he waited forever before he gave the Packers an answer, and it really pissed off a lot of people. And listen, he just hasn't gotten the job done in a very long time for the Green Bay Packers. And every year he gets the Packers to a postseason and then they flame out in the first round. And you wonder about this team in the offseason because you need these big-time quarterbacks to be able to capitalize in big-time situations. And so far this season... It hasn't gone that way for Brady, and it hasn't gone that way for Rodgers. And you're seeing a lot of these younger quarterbacks who you wouldn't expect go out there week in and week out and lead the team to victory, and they're doing that as we talk about Daniel Jones with the Giants, and we talk about Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, and we talk about young guys who are starting to find their way and instill their philosophy on a team for lasting success. And a lot of the younger guys in the NFL are showing up this season and really surprising a lot of the fans who are yearning for wins because some of the veterans aren't getting the job done. Well, Bobby Valentine talked with us about uh, opportunity and how it's, uh, it's, it, it shapes the young player's career, how he handles that opportunity. You know, because certainly a lot of younger players, uh, the fans don't know much about. A lot of them, I think, don't even know they they have it within them themselves until somebody points them in the right direction or something clicks uh, that gives them their mojo. But uh, whoever heard of Tom Brady uh, when uh, he came out of the University of Michigan? He wasn't even starting on his college team. And here this guy ended up being, you know, the the GOAT, you know. Sometimes, yeah, young players can surprise you because – we don't really know what they're capable of, and uh, they're still in those development stages where sometimes they can be a pleasant surprise. <laughs> a year ago, I didn't think Hurst would be this good this year. I mean, Hurst looked terrible a few games for Eagles last year. Uh, so, you know, young players, uh, you you got to have somebody who has faith in a young player and knows uh, how to coach a young player, and uh, you just got to – try to arrange the right situation where the kid can succeed. And uh, that's one of the mysteries of this game that makes it so interesting. And then you have a team like the Indianapolis Colts who go out there and get Matty Ice in the offseason, Matt Ryan, and all of a sudden you think with the great ground game with Taylor and the addition of Matt Ryan that this Colts team was going to be a legit team in the AFC. And now they end up benching Matt Ryan. They go with Sam 
Ellinger to start this week against the Commanders, and everybody's wondering what Frank Reich, the head coach, is thinking as the Colts have definitely underperformed so far this season, Andy, and they've been another big disappointment in the NFL. Yeah, and Jonathan Taylor's another one of those uh, South Jersey guys. He was a running back for the same high school where Lydell Mitchell played. Uh, he was a great running back at Penn State. Had a lot of rushing records at the time he was there. Also with uh, the Baltimore Colts, uh, Lydell Mitchell was a great running back in the NFL. And then Jonathan Taylor went to the same high school. So there's some running back tradition down there. Yeah, the Colts, you know, it's funny. They had Carson Wentz for a while, and you talk about Wentz as a young quarterback. There was so much expectation for him, and he hasn't lived up to it since that first year with the Eagles. He was he was great, like his first 10 games with the Eagles, and it's been all downhill for him since then. Yes, he did work out with the Colts, and he's not getting the job done with the Commanders. But I know one game, Andy, that you were just so excited for. You actually got up this morning, and you were doing cartwheels because you can't wait for 9.30 Sunday morning when the Denver Broncos go to Wembley Stadium and take on the 2-5 and five Jaguars as Russell Wilson tries to break out with an offensive explosion to prove he's worthy to be a Denver Bronco in the National Football League. Well, yeah, I remember Russell Wilson with Seattle, and uh, I actually got to meet him, you know, when they played in that Super Bowl in Jersey. So I always wish him well. But, yeah, it's pretty cool to wake up in the morning and have your coffee and bagel and watch some football. Yeah. Did you set your TV <laughs> to ESPN? morning, noon, and night. You know, that drives yeah. Adele crazy. Did... Uh, you know, <laughs> from morning, noon, and night behind the TV set watching football, boy. I got to a point one Sunday where my mom said to me, are you going to get off the couch? It's been 12 straight hours of football. I said, listen, NFL yeah. is king for a reason, okay? Let me enjoy it. It goes quick. <laughs> Yeah, well, Adele would say something like, you know, go take a walk and then go back to your football. Uh, <laughs> by the way, the game on Sunday morning, Andy, must excite you even more. It's on ESPN+. Plus. You'll be able to watch that if you can find it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, maybe I'll find it on the Internet or something. I'll tell but, you, though, uh, Andy. Westwood all... One will be doing the game, right? You can listen to it on Westwood All of these digital streaming services that want to get their piece of the pie with these NFL games, it's just crazy. Whether it's Amazon, whether it's Peacock, whether it's ESPN+. Plus. I used to have the NFL app on my phone, and if the Giants and Jets were either on CBS or Fox on that given Sunday, they would would stream that respective game to the local market for free on their television network on a mobile device. Do you know now that you have to purchase through Paramount a $4.99 monthly subscription to even watch your local team on your tablet? The NFL isn't streaming the Jets and Giants to their respective app anymore for free. You have to spend four ninety nine a month to watch it on a digital tablet. Uh, they're killing the golden goose. I mean, it is, you know, you reach a saturation point at times, uh, and uh, that's what's eventually going to that's going to rear its ugly head on, on pro sports in general. Just oversaturation and greed is going to turn off a lot of the common fans. People don't have the money to spend on all that kind of stuff. I mean, 
and I'm still uh, I'm still just as uh, I like reading about football in the paper as much as uh, watching it on TV. I mean, uh, I'm an old school guy who used. To, I remember blackouts when uh, they had a rule in 1973 that uh, uh, lifting these blackouts if a team sold out its own game. There's a time before '73 when you knew you were only getting getting your teams. Uh, away games on TV and that you would have to listen to home games on the radio because whether it was sold out or not, they blacked out a team when it was home. Uh, even the Giants, the older Giants fans that remember uh, before 1973 that when the Giants were on the road, they'd get the game on TV, but when they were home, you had to listen on WNEW to Morty Glickman. There's a name from the past. used to broadcast the Giants games. And, uh, you know, you only got your team on TV six times in those days when they had a 12-game schedule, and then seven games when they had a 14-game schedule. You didn't have as much TV uh, as you do now, but you appreciated it when you did. It was a big deal to see your team on TV because you didn't have it every week. 5-5 as they go to the bottom of the sixth in Houston as the Phillies and Astros are all tied up in game one of the 2022 World Series. And speaking of announcers quickly, Andy, do you know in that 1980 National League Championship Series that we started this broadcast off with, the radio announcer was Jack Buck and Jerry Coleman, and the TV guys were Keith Jackson, Don Drysdale, and Howard Cosell for ABC. Howard Cosell, yeah. <laughs> of course, on the radio, you know, I remember that series and a lot of other Philadelphia series. Like I've already talked to you about how I like listening to Merrill Reese, and I turned down the TV sound. Uh, I like Reese on the radio. And uh, I was listening to Harry Callis and Richie Ashburn and the, the Phillies crew there during those playoffs with the TV sound turned down. Uh, and... Uh, I'll always remember some of the Harry Callis' calls in that series there. You know, I remember uh, also Jim Palmer and Reggie Jackson did a lot of uh, ABC uh, network games in the playoffs in the World Series. Uh, Palmer's an interesting World Series trivia question that uh, comes up because I've heard about Verlander, uh, him and uh, Clemens are the only guys who have made World Series starts in three different decades. Uh, but Palmer's the only pitcher to win games in three different decades. Palmer won them in the 60s and the 70s uh, with the Orioles. Uh, he pitched a 6 nothing shutout against Sandy Koufax in 1966. In 83, he won a game as a reliever against the Phillies in the 83 World Series, and that made him the only pitcher to ever win games in three different decades. But uh, the last uh, last guy before Verlander to make World Series starts in three decades was Roger Clemens. And you know what cost Clemens a win? This is a game that, as a Mets fan, is dear to your heart. You remember the Bill Buckner game when he uh, when that ball went through Bill Buckner's leg? Yes, I do. He had that call. Gets by Buckner. Yes, I do. And the, and the Mets made that comeback to stay alive, and then they won in Game Seven. If it wasn't for that Mets rally. Uh, Clemens would have been the winner of that game, and Clemens would have won World Series games in three different decades. But the Mets, uh, with that big rally in game six there against Boston, kept Clemens from winning a World Series game in the 80s. So that's pretty cool. Yes, it is. Get by Buckner. <laughs> 
I got to go back and try and... He went into into hiding after that game. You know what I got to do, Andy? I got to go find that call and play it one of the weeks coming up on the air here just to get a sense of what it was like back then hearing some of these old school announcers call games back then. You know what's cool about those 86 Mets? Uh, I was doing public relations at a children's hospital in those days. And uh, we got some big-time people just to come and uh, speak and visit kids at the hospital and all that. And Mookie Wilson came over to the hospital to visit with kids and, uh, you know, make an appearance. And uh, right after that World Series, uh, everybody's asking him about that play because Mookie hit that ground ball that got by Buckner. And Mookie said with a straight face, he says, hey, look, I would have beaten it out if he fielded it. I'm faster than he was, and I would have gotten the first base before he did. I was going to get on whether he booted the ball or not. And Mookie said that uh, several times to people. And I think he's right. When I've uh, looked at that replay, and it gets shown on TV often. And uh, Mookie was almost right on top of first base when I went through Buckner. There was no way they would have gotten Mookie out on that ball. (laughs) So Buckner took a little bit too much of the blame for the Red Sox blowing that World Series because Mookie was going to get on first base anyway. You're listening to the Sports Buzz with Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto and our NFL motto is, in Daniel Jones we trust, as we've covered a lot in the baseball and football world here on the Sports Buzz tonight. We'll come back, we'll talk a little bit about some college football, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get into a tiny bit of the NBA as it's doom and gloom for Darvin Ham, the first-year head coach for the L.A. Lakers, as LeBron James tries to figure out why his Lakers team is continuing to struggle the way they are as the start of this 2022 season has not been pretty for the L.A. Lakers. We have more to do on the Sports Buzz on this Friday, October 28th, as the Phillies and Astros are playing one another in the 2022 World Series in Game 1, as both teams will go to the bottom of the sixth inning, tied 5 a piece. We will keep you updated on that game and we will keep you entertained on what's happening in the world of sports. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we will continue this great sports talk banter. You won't get this on FM AM commercial radio and you won't get this on satellite radio, but you're guaranteed to get it weekly on Clubhouse and you're guaranteed to get it as podcast playback availability through Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast, and wherever you get your daily audio. We'll take a time out. We'll come back right after this. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said, If you don't get a kidney transplant, and if you don't do dialysis, you you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life, made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity, because they believe it's the right thing to do. 
Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended, your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested? That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. It's up to Austin Nola. Suarez fires. Pop fly. Right field. Segura's out. Castellanos in. And the Philadelphia Phillies are going to the World Series. Well, this most improbable run is still going. And this improbable run has just about the most likely hero to it. Bryce Harper with a game-winning home run in the eighth inning. And John Middleton, the owner who famously said, I want my bleeping trophy back. And he kept on putting his money where his mouth was. Big ticket, free agent after big ticket, free agent. Brought in Dave Dombrowski. The engineer of the last couple years of this. And somehow, some way, the 2022 Philadelphia Phillies are going to play for a World Series. The Astros trying to move on. The one-two pitch and a swing and a ground ball back to the mound. Presley has it. He feeds Gurriel at the bag. And the Houston Astros are heading to the World Series for the fourth time in the last six seasons. The celebration is on on the infield as a dejected Aaron Judge makes his way down the steps into the Yankee dugout. The Astros are celebrating. And a dejected Aaron Judge he was as the Yankees got bounced out of the postseason in a four-game sweep against an Astros team that has had their number for the last several years as those were the calls for the respective series. The NLCS with Joe Davis and John Schmoltz with the call from Fox Sports, and that was Dan Schulman with the ESPN radio call for the final out of the Houston Astros capturing an ALCS title. And I played that again because Andy sits with his Phillies hat on, his Bryce Harper jersey on, with the popcorn next to him. I got my Chase Chase Utley jersey on. (laughs) (laughs) And the fountain soda aplenty as he relishes with his Phillies playing in the World Series, and he was just dying for me to replay those calls from this past hey, you Sunday. You know what I said if I was doing that Houston game? 
for us doing that what? Houston game, you know, after the, you know, the Houston Astros are back in the World Series and all that. Now they said, ladies and gentlemen, Presley has left the building. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Andy. <laughs> I'll tell you, your wit, Andy, always gets me through a Friday night here on the Sports Buzz. Welcome back, folks, as Kevin Wolf. And Andy Loigu come to you live from the great state of New Jersey on this October 28th on this Friday evening on the Sports Buzz. By the way, I've gone through over an hour without giving the email address for the show, sportsbuzzshow1 at gmail.com. Sportsbuzzshow, the number one at gmail.com, is where I can be reached for any thoughts, feelings you may have on anything happening in the world of sports or this podcast. You can reach me at sportsbuzzshow the number one at gmail.com as it's refreshing to get back behind the microphone with Andy Loigu week in and week out as this very show aired from 2006 to 2010 on 91.9 WNTI-FM, a powerhouse station in Northwest New Jersey. And prior to the start of the NFL season, I asked Andy to join forces with me to bring you hard-hitting, thought-provoking sports talk. You're not going to find anywhere else and we are very happy to be delivering you this daily program week in and week out we've talked about baseball we've talked about the nfl but there's another sport of football we must talk about and that is college football as two games were played on a thursday this week andy as Number 14-ranked Utah beat Washington State last night, 21-17. And number 24-ranked NC State beat Vatech, Virginia Tech, by a final score of 22-21. to Yeah, I was watching the Utes, <laughs> the Utah Utes. Uh, that was a pretty good game. Yeah, Washington State's had some quarterbacks. You know, they had Mark Rippon. They had uh, Drew Bledsoe. Uh, uh, Ryan Leaf was a great quarterback uh, who never made it in the pros, but uh, he was a good quarterback at Washington State. They have some good ones over there. And Drew as... Bledsoe was starting when uh, Tom Brady first came to the uh, Patriots. Uh, Brady got his opportunity when Bledsoe got hurt. So you talk about opportunities, you know. And can you believe it, Andy? Four weeks left to go in this college football season and some key games tomorrow afternoon to continue with this Week 9 affair as the Ohio State Buckeyes will visit the 6-1 Penn State Nittany Lions, the 7-0 Buckeyes against the 13th-ranked 6-1 Nittany Lions in a game that's going to be huge, but Ohio State will probably find a way to win the game as their quarterback, C.J. Stroud, has had a great year with 28 touchdowns and over 2,000 yards in the air. 28 touchdown passes. Yeah. In seven games. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yes, it is. But Penn State's got a quarterback of its own, too, Sean Clifford. Uh, he threw for 295 yards uh, when they beat Minnesota 45-17. Uh, and Penn State's run defense, now they haven't played Ohio State yet, but they're like holding opponents to less than four yards a carry. The only bad game that defense had was when they got rolled over by uh, Michigan. But uh, Penn State's well, always had a good defense. But, yeah, they've got a good one this year. 
they've got a shot at Ohio State, but they just gotta they can't make any mistakes. You know, they've got they've got to stay in the game. They can't give Ohio State anything. And they have an advantage because they're at home, which is key for them, Penn State. So that gives them an advantage also. And I think it'll be a close game. I think it'll be a fun game. And I think it'll be a high-scoring game. And I think we'll be in for a duel between Ohio State and Penn State tomorrow as you have a number two-ranked team at 7-0 going up against the 13th-ranked team in the Nittany Lions at 6-1. And then... The Notre Dame Fighting Irish, the 4-3 and three Fighting Irish at 12 noon, will take to the Carrier Dome to take on the Syracuse Orange, who are 6-1 and one and ranked number 16. And what a year it's been, Andy, for the Syracuse Orange men. Yes, and uh, I think they'll beat Notre Dame and they'll be 7-1. It's really been amazing what Dino Babbers has done with this team because they used to have a lot of success when Doug Marone was the head coach, and then it took Dino Babbers a while to rebuild with this team, and the rebuild and the recruiting process is starting to really seem to be working nicely in Syracuse as now they also, on top of a great elite basketball program year in and year out, have a very good football program that they can hang their heads high on and really get to enjoy year in and year out as they've been exciting to watch this year and they've won some key games this year and they've done it in great fashion. They beat Louisville in week one, 31-7. They lost a tough one to Clemson last week, 27-21, but they had some opportunities to win that game, Andy, and upset the Clemson Tigers, and they fell short of doing it. But every game they've played outside of their 59-0 blowout win against Wagner or their 48-14 win in week two against UConn, They've played competitive football games, and they've definitely been an eye-opener for many teams in the uh, ACC this season in college football. You know, something I've followed through the years regarding Penn State is that stadium where they play, uh, Beaver Stadium. It opened in 1960, and here's the funny thing. When they opened that stadium in 1960, it held 35,000 people. But uh, they built it in an open area where their plan was to keep expanding it. As long as they're selling out the games, they keep expanding it. And uh, I think it's gone way beyond what they could have foreseen back in 1960 because they put over 100000 in that place now. And it's just been added to and added to. Uh, I remember somebody who goes to a lot of Penn State World games once told me it's the world's largest erector set. <laughs> it's just they just constantly keep adding on to it, and uh, and you know people around there see the construction going on. But uh, that's gone from a thirty-five thousand seat stadium to a stadium that holds over a hundred thousand, and it's just they've got an upper deck now and everything. Yeah, uh, it's just been an amazing thing to watch over the years. I remember going to Penn State games, and that place only held about fifty or sixty thousand back when uh, seventy-three. They had one of their undefeated teams. And then they made it 80,000, and uh, it's just been a gradual process. But to think back to that nice, quaint little stadium they used to have and look at it on TV now, it's like, holy cow. And they have these whiteout games when everybody wears white. Yes, which was last uh, weekend. Yeah, right. Those are crazy. I mean, it's got to be tough on your eyes. 
And uh, I remember Joe Paterno said they got that idea when they went to uh, Tennessee. Not only did the field have orange all over it, but the fans were all wearing orange. And I remember Joe Paterno saying, that really affected us. I mean, we just were the same team. We had all that orange everywhere we looked. And so they decided, hey, we'll do white out days, you know, and nights. <laughs> Penn State football school. And it's uh, Happy Valley for a reason. You know, they call that area Happy Valley. There's currently another college football game being played tonight as East Carolina takes on Brigham Young, BYU, and they are in the fourth quarter with under 10 minutes to play, all squared at 24 apiece as BYU has the football on their own 25-yard line as they look to go downfield and try and beat East Carolina in Week 9 of NCAA football play some other key games tomorrow andy we have the two and five temple owls taking on navy at two and five and navy may not be a great team but they're always fun to talk about as we always look forward to that annual army navy game year in and year out in college football Bill belichick's first coaching job he was at navy uh, you know, not the head coach, but he was on the staff, and uh, he was, like, in charge of scouting opponents and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, Bill Belichick got his football start at Navy. The Rutgers Scarlet oh, yeah. Knights with Greg Schiano at 4-3 and three will play 2.30 tomorrow afternoon as they will take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers, who are also 4-3. and three. And this is a big game for Rutgers as they try to eye themselves a bowl game yeah, they got the Big Ten win against Indiana. That was a big deal for that program, you know, to be the Big Ten team. Yes, and, it was. Uh, yeah, I think they will be in a good bowl game this year. Another game that I watched this week was a real big one in the Big Sky Conference between Montana State and Sacramento. Yeah, you gotta got to watch all these games there. <laughs> yeah, that was on TV. <laughs> the Montana Grizzlies. What game haven't you missed this season, Andy? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, they had a few days off from baseball. I had a chance to catch up on some college football. Florida International beating Louisiana Tech 24-23 in the fourth quarter. And a few other games that we look at quickly, Andy. Georgia at 7-0 will take on Florida at 3.30 on CBS as the 7-0 Georgia Bulldogs look to continue their undefeated streak and go to 8-0 as the college football season dwindles down to its final few weeks. Yeah, they are the likely national champions, but you never know. <laughs> Illinois is taking on Nebraska. Number 17 ranked Illinois at 6-1 and one, taking on Nebraska. I remember when Nebraska used to be one or two every year in the 60s and 70s. Uh, they were ridiculous how good Nebraska used to be. But, uh, yeah, things have changed over there. And Tennessee has been the talk of the country after that big win two weeks ago, that upset special in Tennessee, 52-49 over Alabama. And that was a classic game, Andy. That was one of the most riveting college football games I've ever watched. And to see the fans take to the field after that game in Tennessee and literally remove the goalposts from the field, it was like 
chaotic beyond belief at the end of that football game. And that's what makes the college football game so exciting to watch. You don't get a lot of those great moments in the NFL, but you're guaranteed to get them in college at least a couple of times throughout a season. And that was one for the ages two weeks ago. A special game that I always remember going to uh, in 1969. I was 19 years old, and it was the 100th Penn State-Rutgers game. You know, it's like every college football historian knows that Penn State and Rutgers played the very first college game. Their 100th meeting uh, was really something special, and uh, the Rutgers fans, after Rutgers won the game, they pulled the goalposts out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they went out there, and by gum, they're going to do it. I mean, they, they put a lot of effort into it, and they got them out of the ground. That was that was an amazing that day. Yeah, that was Princeton and uh, Rutgers, 100th game. Another big and, rival, uh, Michigan State, taking on number four ranked Michigan at 7-0. and Normally in the college basketball world, you look at that as a competitive rivalry between mm-hmm. the two, but in football it's not so much that as Michigan looks to continue their undefeated success so far this season and then you have Pittsburgh taking on North Carolina you have Baylor taking on Texas Tech and those are pretty much some of the headliner games for week nine yeah well going back to Penn State Ohio State you know uh, one reason Ohio State is highly ranked and undefeated I mean uh, Ohio State's defense and you talk about the They've got a sophomore defensive tackle, Mike Hall, making a lot of sacks, senior linebacker, Tommy Eichenberg. He's making a lot of tackles. They've got good safeties. and They've got a transfer from Oklahoma State, like Ohio State needed it, (laughs) who's intercepting passes. Uh, That's a tough defense over there at Ohio State, plus they put points on the board. Uh, They're right up there competing for the national championship. Penn State's got a tough one this week, really tough. Has Penn State surprised you this season, though, Andy? I mean, did you think they had the ability to be 6-1? and one? Are you surprised they're 6-1? I'm disappointed that Michigan ran over them the way they did. You know, for so many Big Ten teams, it all hinges on how you do against the, the powerhouse Ohio State. I hope they can at least give a good game against Ohio State. That'll help their ranking, too, you know, and get them into a good bowl game. But yeah, I'd say uh, I wasn't sure if Penn State would be quite this good, but I expected them to have a good season. I mean, uh, uh, they're just like uh, a step below the Giants of the conference, but in their good years, uh, they've been right there on top of it, too. Uh, I'm glad they've had the season they've had. I'm just just disappointed that they didn't show up better against Michigan, but uh, maybe they can make up with that with a big game against Ohio State. I wouldn't put it past them. They've beaten Ohio State before. You remember the year they had the three-way tie there where they had to go to a tiebreaker to see who went to the Rose Bowl. And Penn State got killed by Michigan. And then uh, they beat Ohio State. And Ohio State beat Michigan, created an unbreakable three-way tie there between those schools. The tiebreaker was the most overall Big Ten wins, you know, because they scheduled some teams from the Western Division as well. The tie was in the Eastern Division, and since Penn State had the best overall Big Ten record, you know, they went to the Rose Bowl. But the main point is they got embarrassed by Michigan, and then they beat Ohio State after Ohio State had beaten Michigan. But you never know. You never know. No, you're absolutely right, Andy. And another team that's on a much-needed bye this week before they take on Maryland 
Next Saturday on the 5th is Wisconsin as the Badgers have not exceeded expectations there in Wisconsin as it has been a struggling season for the Badgers. Maryland's got a good offense, so that'll be a challenging game for Wisconsin. And then they play Iowa, they play Nebraska, and they finish up at home on the 26th against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Yeah, well, those are winnable games, but they got to play their A game. But, you know, those aren't impossible games. And so Wisconsin's still got a lot to go for there. Top of the seventh, 5-5, Astros-Phillies World Series Game 1. Phillies has a runner on at second with two men down in the seventh as the game is all tied at 5-5 as we continue to pay attention to this Game 1 of the World Series as it's key for the Phillies yeah, to at least get the one there game. For the Phillies. Maybe I could look it up here. Uh, the Astros have a pitcher on the mound right now. I'm trying to see who they're showing the Philly batter. Abreu's pitching for the Astros. Riamuto's at the plate. He's Riamuto, one for th- Riamuto. Yeah. He's one for three, and the Phillies have a runner at second. And Riamuto just walked, so now they have two on, two out, and Abreu's through 27 pitches. So far in the top of this seventh inning as the Phillies are trying to rally with two on and two out and the Astros are going to pay a a visit to the mound with their pitching coach coming out to try and get Abreu to get through the seventh inning here and avoid the Phillies from taking the lead. One of the keys to the Phillies this year also has been Real Muto. It's been an outstanding defensive catcher and he hits two. And uh, he's been a big key there uh, that they have such a good guy uh, leading that pitching staff. And he throws runners out or try to steal. And uh, he's just uh, been outstanding. He reminds me of a funny story. Like uh, the Phillies, when they're home on Sundays, Mike Schmidt's been uh, one of the broadcasters. And uh, uh, one day I remember John Cruck asked uh, Mike Schmidt, he says, uh, so how did you hit all those home runs, Mike? And on the very next pitch, uh, Real Muto hits a home run. Then Mike Schmidt says, yeah, I did it like that. <laughs> and then uh, Schmidt went on to explain that Real Muto had the same batting stance, and uh, he stood deep in the box. Uh, he knew the pitchers would try to pitch him outside, and he'd step into it and hit a lot of opposite field home runs. And, but at the moment it happened, it was so funny. Real Muto hits a home run right after Cork asked that question, and Schmidt says, yeah, that's the way I did it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like a nice illustration there, you know. This is how Mike Schmidt used to do it. <laughs> so, Andy, how much has the National Basketball Association, starting the 2022 season, how much has that excited you thus far? Well, one question I had about the season was answered. I turned on the Nets game. I didn't watch the whole game, but I saw Ben Simmons out there actually playing. Ben Simmons is actually playing again. <laughs> you remember all the garbage that they went through with the Sixers and Ben Simmons last year, uh, where they they had to trade him. The guy just had an attitude problem, and uh, you know, I guess whatever inner demons Ben Simmons had have been uh, exercised. But uh, you know why I don't see an exorcist, by the way, because I don't want to be repossessed. <laughs> You know, if I make, if I miss my payment, you know, and they they repossess me, that wouldn't be good. Something was not right with Ben Simmons. But if the Nets get anything out of him, because he's a player who had so much potential. I mean, uh, one guy who looks like he can do anything he wants anytime he wants uh, is KD. 
I mean, they've got some talent on that Nets team. It's just a matter of getting it to play together, you know? No, they it does. And score, Kyrie yeah. Irving was a huge distraction last season, and KD wanting out and then deciding to come back definitely left the fan base bitter. Brooklyn has started off slow this year. They're 1-4 and four to start the 2022 season. I know it's early, but they lost to the um, Mavericks 129-125 to last night. They lost in Milwaukee, lost in Memphis. The only win they have is to the Toronto Raptors. So things are not starting off easy for the Brooklyn Nets as they find themselves in a 1-4 in hole to start the 2022 season. The New York Knicks, on the other hand, are getting some contributions from Guys like Jalen Brunson, who's become a big asset for this team. Old Villanova guy on their championship team. Yes. Yes. Julius Randle's also contributing. And the Knicks. They've expected it from Randle. They've tried to build that team around him. Yeah. Yeah. The Knicks are three and two. They lost tonight to the Bucks, one nineteen to one oh eight. They've looked competitive over their last five games. It seems finally like maybe Tom Thibodeau may have a leash on this team now and have them right where he wants them to contend in the Eastern Conference. And you just have to hope that all goes well for this Nick team this year. And they need Jalen Brunson to be a key contributor to have success with this team. That game was in Milwaukee, right? I mean, Milwaukee's a tough team. They just won the yes. championship a couple of years ago, and, and that, that Giannis is out of this world. Yes, and then Sunday they yeah. play the Cavaliers in Cleveland. The Cavaliers, I uh, hope they don't have a Cavalier attitude about it, right? Can you believe, Andy, the Lakers have started 0-5 as well, they lost again tonight? Yeah, they're they're terrible. You know, yeah, well, you have to wonder too. Them, all the winning that franchise has done. <laughs> yeah, they lost to the Timberwolves, one eleven to one o two tonight. They're zero and five. They're zero and three on the road. LeBron James had twenty eight point seven rebounds and five assists. You have to wonder, Andy, with LeBron, if he's second guessing now, staying on this team. He was a big catalyst in recommending Darvin Ham to be the head coach for this team. Frank Vogel really didn't work out last season with the Lakers. You saw some good ability between Anthony Davis and LeBron James at times, but so far this season, the team just hasn't been on the same page. They've been off. They haven't played well. They've been sloppy. Beverly's been playing a lot, but hasn't gotten a lot of key points. LeBron James has been the main catalyst. You know, the team just does not seem to be gelling well right now, and you'd have to wonder what's going on. I mean, they're 0-5, and normally a LeBron James-led basketball team is much more entertaining to watch day in and day out and wouldn't alarm you. But an 0-5 record with LeBron James on the team is definitely alarming to an NBA team that underachieved last year, was supposed to get out of that slump this year, and has started off 0-5 in the Western Conference. Yeah, it's a shame for LeBron because, you know, LeBron ought to just retire while he still remember him as a great player. You know, I don't know if he'll get any better if he keeps playing a few more years. You know, the 
aging process uh, is an inevitability, especially in a sport like basketball. I mean, uh, I used to be a basketball player, and I played until my joints just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> but uh, looking at the Phillies here, I see that Alvarado and Zach Eflin have come into the game here. These are guys who have closed games recently, and here uh, Thompson put them in the game when Nola didn't have a good start, and they put up some zeros, kept the Phillies in the game. Hector Hector Neris is in right now. Bases loaded, top of the seventh, two out, and Castellanos is at the plate trying to get a run in for the Phillies up against Hector Neris on the mound for the Astros. Neris was an old Philly, and uh, he, he didn't do very well with the Phillies. But here he is pitching against his old team now. And... Speaking of uh, another Philadelphia team, the 76ers <laughs> are 2-4 and four as they defeated the Toronto Raptors tonight, 112-90, to <laughs> as Tyrese Maxey had 44 points on eight rebounds with four assists and was the star performer for the Sixers in their big win over the Raptors on the hardwood this evening. Yeah, I like him. He's incredibly quick. He speeds up the game. He, he's got a great outside shot. He drives to the basket. Uh, he's a fun guy to watch. Uh, I watched the Sixers a couple of nights ago. They beat the Indiana Pacers. And, uh, yeah, I think the Sixers will be right there. And also, uh, Harden, uh, he looks like he's in a little bit better shape than he was last year when he was hampered by, like, a hamstring pull. And he kind of slowed the Sixers down when he was in the games last year. But uh, he seems to have worked his way in where I think he'll be a better fit this year. Hey, it's and, a big uh, year. He is going to be a terrific player. Yeah. he has got a great future. Yeah, it's a big year for the Sixers. It's a big year for Doc Rivers. And it's a big year for this franchise as they got to try and get over the hump and get to an NBA Finals appearance, and they were short of doing that last season. The Pacers defeated the Wizards 127-117. to The Timberwolves beat the Lakers 111-102. Greg Popovich and the Spurs at 4-2 beat the Bulls 129-124. to And Greg Popovich left some people scratching their heads as... He is also the general manager of that team, and he decided to cut their 2021 draft lottery pick, Primo, who was a fun player to watch. Joshua Primo, no longer a San Antonio Spur for Greg Popovich. Pops has been around for a long time. (laughs) Yes, he has, and his teams are always fun to watch, and they're always tough. And speaking of the NBA, Andy, Some news came down right before we hit the air by Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN that the NBA is pursuing an upper spending limit in a new agreement with the Players Association. And apparently the Players Association and the union are not thrilled with what the NBA is trying to do here as the NBA is pursuing the implementation of an upper spending limit in its negotiations on a new collective bargaining agreement with the NBA Players Association, a systemic change that has been met with significant union resistance, sources specified to ESPN, in the wake of large market contenders like Golden State, Brooklyn, and the Clippers, 
running up massive payrolls and luxury tax penalties, the NBA is proposing a system that would replace the luxury tax with a hard limit that teams could not exceed to pay salaries, sources said. Wow, Andy. Yeah, that's pretty enterprising there. Well, you know, the NFL, one of the reasons for success has been its uh, parity rules, uh, I could say, uh, as far as, uh, you you know, you can't keep a a great team together in the NFL very long because of the salary capping and all that. And uh, and it's kept the NFL uh, a parity league. Uh, yeah, anytime you let certain teams just spend uh, in the stratosphere while other teams are hampered because of the lack of money, you know, sharing the wealth uh, helps a pro sports league in the long term, you know. And it can help some of these lower tier teams go out there and finally contend. Yeah, like it's funny, the Washington Wizards, the, the other night they won a game 130 to 99, and here uh, tonight they, they lost. So some of these NBA teams are up and down, you know. That, uh, there's uh, well, it's a long season, and you have games you get up for and you peak for, and other games where you just on a, or you're just slogging through because you're getting. They they play a lot. Of, they play a lot of games in the NBA, you know. And they talk about load management in the NBA. Coaches don't always have their best guys out there. It's uh, regular season NBA games. I wouldn't bet on them, that's for sure, because you don't know what kind of team you're getting every night. Sometimes, even like the big guys, uh, the stars. Even the LeBron Jameses and the uh, Stephon Currys, these guys, they miss games just to take a break. <laughs> you know, and it is a demanding travel schedule that they have. You know. So does this hurt the NBA long term, Andy, or do you think it helps it? I think it could help it. Yeah, I think uh, it gives uh, some of the second-tier teams a better chance of signing good players. Should be interesting to see how all this plays out because, like I said, there is friction from the players' union, and that's going to cause some animosity now between the league and the players' union, and you're going to have very unhappy basketball players taking to the hardwood now, competing day in and day out, not knowing how their team's going to look years down the road with this new implementation. Well, it seems like the NBA, more than any other sport, the players actually play a, almost a general manager type of role, uh, you know, where a player signs with a team, and then a couple of guys say, yeah, I want to go play with him, you know, and they actually are able to engineer trades. Uh, they kind of force the GMs into making certain moves and spending money, uh, you know, like when uh, LeBron James uh, went to Miami because he wanted to be with Dwayne Wade and uh, – uh, you, you know, sometimes these players actually uh, end up making roster decisions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the Knicks, for some reason, been left out of that. That's the funny thing that you know, I've often wondered: why doesn't anybody want to actually go and be a free agent playing and play for the Knicks? You know, the, the, the Knicks have drafted well and they've had some good players, but they haven't they haven't been that place where the players have wanted to go. No, so should be know. interesting to see what happens. With this situation now in the NBA, quickly in the hockey scoreboard, the New Jersey Devils have started their season off strong as they are 5-3 and three and they beat the Colorado Avalanche 1-0. The New York Islanders at a record of 4-4, four and four, eight games in, defeated the Carolina Hurricanes 6-2. And that's it for the locals on the hockey scoreboard this evening as the Rangers and Flyers both had the night off. 
Yeah, the Flyers have looked decent. You know, they've been encouraging because they had a, they had a rough time of it the last couple of years. And that was coming off a year when they had, they had the best record in the East, but that seems like ages ago now. Yeah, the Flyers, uh, see see how it goes there for a while. But uh, the times I've had a chance to catch a period of the Flyers here and there, they look pretty good. So uh, I'm hopeful. Yeah, they play the Hurricanes tomorrow night in Philadelphia. So that should be a good game for them. And they started off this season strong as they have a 5-2 and two record. And the New York Rangers, Andy, are 3-3 three and three to start off the 2022 campaign as they are off tonight. So they lost their last game to the Islanders as they were shut out 3 nothing, and they get ready to play the Dallas Stars tomorrow afternoon in Dallas. Well, the Rangers, they'll be right there. They've got a solid team. I think they'll, they'll do fine. Yeah, they'll... Uh... They'll be right up there. You know, the Rangers always seem to get good defense and goaltending. You know, the names change over the years, but uh, Mike Richter and Lundqvist have been fabulous goalies for the Rangers when you look back uh, over their recent history. Uh, I think they'll be right there. They, they've certainly got loyal, uh, enthusiastic fan base that keeps them going. Hector Neris got out of the jam in the top of the seventh. They went to the bottom of the seventh in Houston as the Phillies make a pitching change now. Neris was with the Phillies for eight years. I mean, he was a long-time Philly. He had his ups and downs, and he had a losing record. But there there were games where he showed up big. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to see that he's with Houston now. As great as this postseason has been and as fun as these games are, daily to watch with the dramatic moments in baseball. You get them sometimes in the season, but you get a majority of the dramatics throughout the postseason. I'll tell you what, Joe Buck not calling a baseball game is definitely disheartening to many baseball fans out there because his voice calling a postseason baseball game was iconic to the hardcore fan that watched the postseason year in and year out. And I understand... You know, I his father, Jack. Jack Buck. Yeah. Uh, you know, I understand yeah, this is a new team for Fox, but Joe Davis definitely, definitely, definitely does not have the entertainment value that Joe Buck had calling these baseball games because it it just doesn't have the same juice. Smoltz will always be very good as the color commentary guy. Yeah. I, I like Smoltz, yeah. But Joe Davis definitely needs to do something to add to his broadcast ability because he has not been great to listen to on the television set for Fox Sports. And I'm sure deep down, Fox is wishing that Joe Buck was calling these baseball games. Well, the best pair is, you know, with the, the Mets. Green, Cohen, uh, Darling, Cohen, Hernandez on the, in the they're, SNY they're booth. You know, they're, the Mets aren't my primary team, but I like to watch the. Yeah, but that's the problem with baseball, Andy. You have to say about the games, you know. But that's the problem uh, with all of these teams' broadcasters. You get to broadcast your respective team for 162 games throughout a season, and then once the postseason comes, the networks that air those games hire their own announcers to broadcast the games. So with TBS, you're getting. The likes of Bob Costas, who a lot of people complained about, with uh, Ron Darling, who wasn't bad, 
and Fox, you're getting Davis and uh, Smoltz. So, you know, you don't have a lot of good announcers to really go to for postseason because the networks that they're on, TBS and Fox Sports 1, now Fox Sports for the World Series, provide their own announcers that they hire to call these games. Yeah, well, Costas has been around a long time. I'm kind of a contemporary Acosta. See, Acosta, I've been listening to him for years and years and years, and he's good. He really knows the history of the game and all that and gives you a lot of good perspective. But as a game play-by-play analyst, uh, you know, he's uh, – I don't know if that's really his thing. You know, he's, he's like, better for, like, pre-game and post-game shows and things like that, I think. And he's done good with the golf at times when he's done that yeah. and – he used to do the NBA. I remember he used to be the lead announcer on nationally televised NBA games. He's done the Olympics. He's had himself quite a career. Speaking of announcers, uh, Jim Nance is giving up the uh, Final Four CBS broadcast team after this season, and Ian Eagle will be taking over as the main voice. uh, Jay Wright's going to be one of the uh, college basketball analysts on TV this year now that he retired as a coach at Villanova. He'll be very good, Jay Wright. He's got a good voice. He seems yeah. like he, he will handle that very well, the television yeah, side. He's done a great interview, yeah. Whenever he's been interviewed on TV, he's been excellent. Yeah. Especially watching TV uh, in Philadelphia, where you know, I watch a lot of Philadelphia TV, and they, Jay Wright, they're always interviewing him about stuff. Not always necessarily Villanova either, just about general stuff. Yeah, he was at the Phillies game the other night wearing his Phillies jacket there when they were playing San Diego, and he had a few things to say about that on TV, too. By the way, legendary Georgia football coach Vince Dooley passed away today at the age of 90, Andy. I'm old enough to remember him coaching, yeah. He, uh, he coached uh, Herschel Walker and uh, some of those uh, great Georgia teams from the old days. Dooley took the Bulldogs to 20 bowl games during his 25 seasons as head coach, during which he amassed a record of 201, 77, and 10. He was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1994. So sadly, on this October 28th, at the age of 90, legendary football coach Vince Dooley has passed away. Sadly, but now moving to the gladly. Uh, the old rhymer, uh, Walt Frazier. <laughs> you know, you've heard of Walt Frazier doing the Knicks game yes. and all the rhymes that he has. You know, astounding rebounding and all that. <laughs> well, anyway, Walt Frazier's going to the Basketball Hall of Fame as a broadcaster after he'd already made it as a player. That's a real distinction there, to do it as a player and a journalist. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. It Why is, and he's a very good broadcaster. He's covered the Knicks for an extremely long time. He's been he's vital been with the Knicks as a player and announcer forever. I mean, he's like the face of the franchise. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's been the face of that broadcast team for an extremely long time. So that's a great honor to see him go into the Hall of Fame. 5-5, five, five, top of the eighth, Phillies-Astros all squared at five apiece in the top of the eighth as Bohm is at the plate, Montero is pitching. Boehm has really turned it around defensively, and he's hit, too. He's, he's, he's been quite a player. He's another one who came up out of the minor leagues and has helped the Phillies. He's one of my favorite players now. He's pretty cool. But in April, he looked like uh, lost out there. He just 
explode. He was terrible on defense, but he's turned it around. And he just struck out. So one down in the top oh, of the eighth. Oh, well. Okay. Well, come on, Phillies. Speaking of Hall of Fames, Andy, you know, every year the National Radio Hall of Fame recognizes various radio personalities for their contributions to the broadcast business and the media business and what they do as their craft on a daily basis, which is hosting radio programs. And Mike Francesa was inducted in 2018 and the induction ceremony was in New York and everybody always said, well, why was Mike Francesa inducted and not Christopher Mad Dog Russo? And Mike always said, even when he was inducted, that Dog should have been inducted also. Well, finally... This year, Christopher Mad Dog Russo was nominated and will be inducted on Tuesday in Chicago to the National Radio Broadcasters Hall of Fame and Sirius XM with his producer, Eddie Erickson, and his technical guy, Colin Schmeling, and also Steve Torrey, who came in with Dog, and he used to be the update guy on Dog's show. They did a very special dedication show to Dog this past Wednesday, and it was two hours of his three-hour Mad Dog Unleashed program from four to six, where people called in and congratulated Dog on the Hall of Fame and everything, and it was really a fantastic show, and the way SiriusXM put that together was great, and Mike called in as the last caller of that two-hour show, And, you know, was really gracious and everything. But, you know, growing up in the New York metro area and listening to WFAN day in and day out the way I did, the way you did back in the day when it was a reputable sports talk station that everyone admired, that everybody wanted to go to daily for their sports talk here in the New York metro area, it was an enjoyable radio station. And Mike and the Mad Dog were the foundation and the brand behind the success of that radio station and to see Dog be inducted into the Hall of Fame this coming Tuesday in Chicago for young aspiring broadcasters like myself and interning at FAN back in the day in 2009, it's incredible. And, you know, what Mike Francesa was able to do at WFAN by leading that show and keeping the ratings at number one for the 13 years he hosted that show as a solo act. And then for Dog to take his local talents to Sirius XM and sort of become a national brand behind the national channel with his name on it is even more exciting to see what he's accomplished in his career But Christopher Russo and Mike Francesa were nominated into the Hall of Fame due to their work together for 19 years at WFAN in New York. And I get they were solo acts for a long time after their reign together on WFAN. But the reason why they're nominated was because of what they did for the sports talk landscape as a whole to really create the careers of many people we listen to day in and day out in this broadcast medium we call radio. Well, you know, it's a broadcast that I remember, Dog, for was a, a topic was football. It was, was a 
Super Bowl Sunday when the Giants uh, played the Ravens back in uh, January 2001. And uh, Mike had all these guests on. And Mike was doing most of the talking. Dog, dog wasn't uh, saying very much. And then Mike uh, wanted to get Dog to talk some more. And Duke said, Dog just says, well, I'm going to make my prediction just before the end of the show. So he wanted to keep you in suspense. So finally, it's time to end the show. And Mike said, okay, well, Dog, you know, you've been avoiding it the whole show. What's your pick? And then Dog goes into that high high gear thing. He says, okay, Mike, here you go. Ravens, 33, Giants, goose egg. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> And the final score was 34 to 7. Dog really nailed it with that pick, but he didn't want to make it until the end of the show. That was funny, though. He's there. Ravens, double three, Giants, goose egg. <laughs> you know, the way he gets crazy. Like, that was funny. And we had the crazy. privilege right when Dog went to Sirius XM back in the day on FM Radio 91.9 WNTI. We had the privilege to interview Christopher Mad Dog Russo right That's after right, the breakup when he went over to Sirius. And the one thing I always said to you back... Yeah. Yes. The one thing I always said to you back in the day, Andy, and I still say it to many people I speak to now, is what made that show so great was the encyclopedic knowledge that Mike had day in and day out around the entertainment value that Chris provided day in and day out. Mike was always dry on the air. He wasn't a compelling talk show host that you yearned for from an entertainment perspective. But the one thing Mike did do, he had the knowledge base and he had the great interview acumen daily on the air that made him unparalleled in the business and made him who he is. The one thing Dog had was the moniker, ah, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. How are you today? (laughs) But the other thing Dog had was keeping the ear to the radio dial. He was very good on the entertainment side of the broadcast business. They both had their strengths. They both had their weaknesses, but really, and let's... Mike loved the Yankees and Dog hated yes. the Yankees. That's one thing that I enjoyed about those. Why there's a Phillies fan there fun to listen to. Yeah, and... and you know, dogs hating the on the Yankees. <laughs> and let's face it, Andy, the bottom line is they're the reason why sports talk is what it is today because Mike mm. and Chris launched it to be that. With that said, Andy, why don't we take a break? We'll come back. We will put a bow on this episode. Number seven of the Sports Buzz Passionate Sports Talk for the Hardcore Fan is our daily motto. Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu. Sports Buzz Show one at gmail.com. Sports Buzz Show the number one at gmail.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will have our Week 8 NFL picks, and we will end what has been an exciting episode of the Sports Buzz. Don't go anywhere yet because we're going to come back, and we are going to have some more fun right here on Clubhouse. After I came home from Iraq, I could still hear the booms. Makes it hard to be a good mom. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I'm Naomi Mathis, Air Force veteran. 
DAV helps veterans get the benefits they've earned. Thanks to DAV, I was able to begin to heal. With the right support, more veterans can reach victories great and small. My victory is being able to be here for my children. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. And welcome back to the Sports Buzz. Passionate sports talk for the hardcore fan is our daily motto as Kevin Wolf and Andy Loigu come to you live on Clubhouse and we make it available for podcast playback through Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever you get your daily audio episodes on a regular basis. And before we get to our NFL picks, I must tell you, Andy, that the Giants also made a big trade this week with the Kansas City Chiefs as they send wide receiver Kadarius Toney to the Chiefs for two 2023 draft picks. So Kadarius Toney, which was a crazy situation. They claimed he was injured with a left hamstring problem, and then he tweeted that his injury was better And then right after the Giants trade him to Kansas City, he deletes that tweet and goes to Kansas City. So I think there were some internal issues with Kadarius Toney, and the Giants have done good thus far this season. They don't need the distraction. So rather than deal with the baggage, they probably figured, let him go to Kansas City, let Kansas City deal with him. In turn, we'll take two draft picks and we'll yeah, the third continue and, on third and sixth round i think right they're not yes. even high picks they're, they're not yeah well I, I guess they just wanted to get rid of a headache uh you know they've got so the team unity thing you know they, <laughs> they they've got a good thing going and they don't they don't want to have anything distracting it yeah and speaking of daniel jones and the new york giants do you know that daniel jones is the first quarterback since 1950 with five game-winning drives within the first seven games of a season. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, he's had the opportunities because the defense kept the Giants in those games. So, Andy, why don't we get to it? Why don't we get to one of the fun segments we? we do weekly? And that is our weekly NFL picks in a league where they play for pay. As in week six, I went one and three and I have an overall record of 11, 12, and 1. And you went 2-2 two and two in Week 6, Andy. And you have an overall record of 14-10. and 10, So you're four games over the 500 mark. And you are doing well through the first seven weeks of this NFL season. And I need to bounce back as I'm 11, 12, and one with that stupid tie in week one between the Colts and Texans that has hamstrung my record a little bit. So let's see if I can bounce back this week. And why don't we do it? Why don't we kick off our picks for week number eight in a league where they play for pay? All right, folks, here are my picks for week number eight in the National Football League. Game number one, the Carolina Panthers will travel to Atlanta to take on the 3-4 and four Falcons Sunday at 1 o'clock. 
The Falcons come into this game as a four-point favorite, and they've been fun to watch. Marcus Mariota has gotten the job done. He's had 1,179 yards in the air, seven touchdowns with four interceptions through seven weeks of this NFL season, and their head coach, Arthur Smith, has put together a good offensive game plan week in and week out. And the Falcons have done what they've needed to do and find themselves at three and four. And I think it's going to be about their offense again, stepping up to the plate this week and beating a Carolina Panthers team that has been in disarray. Baker Mayfield has not gotten the job done. The defense has laxed. They don't have Christian McCaffrey there anymore to lean on week in and week out with his offensive play ability. And they come into this game at 2-5. and five, And with quarterback Baker Mayfield underperforming, Steve Wilkes, the interim head coach, will turn to P.J. Walker to be his starting quarterback for this Week 8 matchup. But I think the Falcons will be too much for the Panthers when all is said and done. And I think the Falcons win this game going away 27-10 over the Panthers. Game number one. Game number two, the Minnesota Vikings get ready to entertain the Arizona Cardinals in Minnesota as the Vikings have started off strong with a 5-1 record coming off of their bye week. And they've been a fun offensive team to watch. They've been tough and physical on defense. And they will be a tough task for the Arizona Cardinals this Sunday. We know the big playability of Kyler Murray. We know he can hurt the opposing defense with the legs. We know that Cliff Kingsbury can throw some different trickery plays at the opposing defense week in and week out. But I've seen a lot of the Minnesota Vikings thus far this season, and I think they will be readily prepared for whatever the Cardinals come at them with, and I think they will win this game. I think the Vikings being at home with an extra week of rest coming off of that bye week are going to find a way to win this game. I like Minnesota 24-20 to over the Cardinals. Game number two. Game number three I understand they were embarrassed by the Bears on Monday Night Football, but you cannot go against Bill Belichick two weeks in a row. Bill Belichick will have his team prepared. The quarterback controversy will be put to the wayside in New England sooner than later, and Belichick will get his Patriots back to winning success and hopefully playoff contention as he takes on a New York Jets team that has been fun to watch. They're 5-2. and two. They've won some key games this year. Not every victory's been pretty, but the bottom line is they've gotten a W in the win column when they've needed to, and they've gotten Zach Wilson involved from the quarterback play. They've gotten Brees Hall involved with the ground game. Their defense hasn't been a juggernaut but their defense has made some plays when it's had to to keep them in games. But I think New England, who's been a tough challenge for the Jets year in and year out, is going to come into MetLife Stadium. I think they're going to play a good game. It's going to be a close game, but I expect Bill Belichick to leave with a W 
and beat the New York Jets 27-23 in game number three. And my final game is Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans taking on the lowly Texans at 1-4. The Texans are rebuilding. They have not been a team that we've zoned in on to say that they're a competitive football team week in and week out. And I get it's the NFL. I get anything can happen. But Lovey Smith has not had a good start to the 2022 season there with the Texans. And their defense is going to be crippled by Derrick Henry and his physical approach with the ground game. He's going to find the seams. He's going to run the ball. He's going to chew up the clock and gain a lot of yardage in the game. And I think Tennessee is going to win this game handedly. I just don't think there's enough there for the Texans. They don't have big play capability offensively. The defense is last in the league stopping the run game. There's just not enough there for them to beat the 4-2 and two Titans. So I like the Titans with Ryan Tannehill and Mike Vrabel going into Houston and beating the Texans 34-13 for game number four. So my four picks for week number eight are the Falcons over the Panthers 27-10, Vikings over the Cardinals 24-20, Pats over the Jets 27-23, and the Titans beating the Houston Texans in Houston 34 13 as I try to bounce back and stay competitive against Andy Loigu. Andy, hit it. All right. Monday night. How's that Monday night football song going? Yeah, right. Yeah. Monday night football. The Bengals and the Browns. Joe Burrow is on fire. He's like uh, Doug, you know, the insurance salesman for liberal uh, liberty mutual. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, I'm on fire tonight, right? <laughs> well, that's that's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's got it going now, and I think the Bengals are on a run. I take the Bengals over to Cleveland Browns on Monday night. Uh, let's make it 35 to 24. And then I've also got. Let's see. The Dolphins and the Lions, uh, there, there's an interesting uh, ball game going on. I think uh, Tua's getting his mojo back for the Dolphins. Uh, you know, he had a tough time there with the concussion and everything, but I think when he's right, the Dolphins are very, very good. I am going to take the Dolphins by, uh, let's make it 38-31. to 31. Okay, now we've got the G-Men. The Giants are playing out there in Seattle in Seahawk country. And uh, the Giants have been a great story this year. And uh, Barkley's been great. And they've run their offense through him, you know, where they've taken advantage of the opportunities that present themselves when uh, they overload trying to stop Barkley. They go somewhere else. and They've been very smart. And they've got that defense uh, playing great. But this game is in Seattle. And, uh, I think I was talking earlier in the show about how I met some Seattle people at the Super Bowl there when Seattle was here in New Jersey. And I've always remembered how they said that that team plays to a different level when they're at home with that crowd. And it may make, it may make the difference in this game. I will go against uh, the home team here and pick the Seattle, uh, I was going to say Supersonics, but <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks uh, to take this game over to Giants. You know, fairly uh, low scoring as the Giants games have been, uh, 24 to 20. 
uh, the Seahawks uh, get it done at home. And we've got the Eagles against the Steelers. Kevin left that Eagles game for me here. So uh, uh, even though Kenny Pickett is from Southern Jersey, and I like those Southern Jersey quarterbacks as I've talked about before, but I have to go with my birds as they are hot and they've got everything going. And uh, they're even, dare I say, it, looking like the best team in the league. They are coming off a bye week, and they've had a good history against the Steelers. They get up for those uh, Pennsylvania battles. And uh, even when the Steelers had some Super Bowl teams, the Eagles have won game against the Steelers. And I remember they frustrated Terry Bradshaw something often back in the day uh, when Dick Vermeil was coaching the Eagles. But that's all in the past. Looking at the present, I see the Eagles over the Steelers. And I don't think it's even going to be close. I will make it 35-17. to 17. So to recap, I've got the uh, Seattle Seahawks beating the G-Men 24-20. to 20. I've got the Eagles beating the Steelers 35-17. The Dolphins over the Lions. I didn't write that score down, but, uh, yeah, the Dolphins over the Lions in a fairly high-scoring game. Yeah, I think I said 38-31. And on Monday night, Joe Burrow and the Bengals over the Browns in the Battle of Ohio. So that's my four picks. And there you have it. Those are our picks for Week 8 in the National Football League. And, yes, Andy, that was a high-scoring game that you picked. 5-5, top of the ninth, Andy, as this game has been nip and tuck for the Phillies and the Astros. Top of the ninth, 3-2 count, one out, nobody on. Schwarber at the plate, Presley the closer pitching in a 5-5 game in Houston for game number one of the World Series. Andy, any final thoughts before we wrap up this edition of the Sports Buzz? Oh, I'd say uh, the Phillies definitely need to split in Houston. And again, uh, most people say Minute Maid Park rolls off the tongue. Uh, but I remember the old uh, Houston Astrodome uh, where they played that 1980 uh, series that we had four extra inning games. They got to get the split in Houston and then uh, get two wins in Philly and maybe come back and have Zach Wheeler wrap it all up. And I hope Noah Syndergaard gets uh, an opportunity to pitch in this series, too, because uh, he's helped the Phillies. Uh, you know who else is with the Phillies there, although he didn't make the postseason roster, was uh, your good old uh, Familia. He didn't have a real good year out of the bullpen, and he's not been involved in the postseason there. But, but uh, yeah, they've got some uh, Mets pitchers there this year, which has been interesting. But uh, go Phillies! Go Phillies! They pull this one through, and they've got Zach Wheeler tomorrow night. So if they should pull this game off, uh, they'll be in good shape. Well, Andy, good luck to your Phillies. Have fun watching your Eagles as they try to stay undefeated and face the Pittsburgh Steelers this Sunday. Enjoy the Sixers and have fun with the Flyers as it is good to be a fan in the city of brotherly love right now as these Philadelphia sports teams have definitely given the fans something to enjoy regularly and the Phillies and Eagles have made the biggest noise thus far with the Eagles vying to be a legit Super Bowl contender and the Phillies playing in a World Series hoping to win the series. And when the Sixers do well, they call it the city of brotherly hoopla. (laughs) (laughs) That's been a Philadelphia phrase back in the Dr. J days, the city of brotherly hoopla. 
Well, with that said, I want to thank all of our listeners on Clubhouse tonight. I want to thank you all for listening daily, whether you listen to it in podcast form after the conclusion of the live broadcast, or if you listen to us live while we're on, I do appreciate the support, and I do ask you to spread the word. Let everyone know that there is a sports program out there that is entertaining and that is the sports buzz. There's a good closing theme there. Yes. With me and Andy Loigu weekly. With that said, we will say good night on this Friday, October 28th. Andy, do not eat too much candy on Halloween. I don't need you to get any cavities. With that said, folks, he was Andy Loigu. I was Kevin Wolf. This was another edition of the Sports Buzz. I thank you for listening. As always, stay classy. Until next time. We'll see you next week. Same place, same time.